This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. And a very happy Friday afternoon to you. Great to have you along. Today, a look at the increasing popularity of shedding sheep breeds. In just the last 12 months, there's been more than a 20% increase in the number of clean skin breeding ewes right across the country. In WA, if we look across the country of all breeding ewes, around 4% are shedding and clean skin. But if we look on a state-by-state basis, so of WA's uh, 7.3 million breeding ewes, 4.59% or close to to sort of uh, 350,000 are shedding breeds. That's above the uh, national average of 3.5%. Meat and Livestock Australia's Stephen Bigner will go through those figures in some more detail for you shortly. And when things go wrong on your farm, do you just quickly try and fix it up so no one ever finds out? Well, there is another approach. Get photographic evidence so everyone can have a laugh. That's what the Patchawallock pub in Victoria is asking farmers to do. If they take a photo and send it in, it might make them feel a little bit better that they've had a bit of an incident. Someone has commented and said they'll be in the running for first prize, second prize and third prize. <laughs> yeah, he's a young local. He's a lovely, lovely boy. Yeah, he's a little bit accident prone. He's a funny character. And yeah, he probably will get first, second and third. <laughs> More about that after half past 12 today. It is seven past 12 here on the Country Hour. And Western Australia is now on track to break last season's record grain harvest of 24 million tonnes, with 26 million tonnes a real possibility. The latest Grain Industry Association of Western Australia crop report is hot off the press and report author Michael Lamond is here to go through the details. Michael, there's been storms, rain and hail in recent weeks. How's the crop holding up? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, there has been some very severe storms in the central region in you know, the last few days, but there's also... You know, been intermittent rain over the last two weeks in the southern area. So yeah, it's having it's having quite an impact on individual growers, and for some growers, particularly with the hail, it's been it's been really quite significant. With you know, with canola crops completely wiped out in some instances, it's had more of an impact on the canola than the cereals at this stage. A lot of the cereals weren't quite ripe, so they're they're not completely wiped out. You know, and then the rain in the southern regions is causing a lot of trouble. I mean, it's there's some very wet areas now, particularly in that south coastal region. Esperance has had some areas have had, you know, not quite as much rain as they've had in the growing season, but nearly as much. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's all adding up now. It's starting to add up to be a bit of a problem. Although, as far as impact on total tons, I mean, you know, it's very small percentage that I would say I would say at the moment. So what are we looking at as far as, you know, the outlook at this point, you know, considering those sort of storms, the rain, the hail that's been a range of parts around the um, growing regions. What are we looking at as far as a, a, a number at this point for harvest? Yeah, well, total tonnes, Belinda, we, you know, we're, we're still saying, I mean, we've increased it from around 23 to 24 million tonnes um, simply because there still is, you know, I mean, last month, it was just looking absolutely fantastic. You know, what else could go wrong? Well, of course, then things have gone wrong with the weather going against us. Although, 
the crops are so good, they, it's likely that even with all these storms and rain and whatever, it's quite likely that the total tonnage in the state will exceed 24 million tonnes, which was about what we got last year, and that was a record by quite a big margin. So what, I mean, by a couple of million tonnes, like is 26, 26 million tonnes being unreasonable? Well, it's hard to know. I mean, there's not a lot of crop off, but, you know, the crop that has come off in the sort of the north of the Great Eastern Highway, which is where most of the harvest activities occurred, most of the crops, irrespective of whether it's canola or wheat or barley, is going a couple of hundred kilos per hectare more than, you know, what it looked like. So, you know, if that's repeated across the state, yeah, we could easily get another couple of million tonnes on top of the 24, although it doesn't account for, you know, what we may have lost already from hail and downgrades. You know, there is crops that have lodged, which growers won't be able to pick that all up. So, you know, I think it's a bit early to call that at the moment, but it is likely that if things sort of improve as far in, you know, as far as the weather situation is concerned, you know, that we could easily um, exceed that 24 million tonnes of total crop in the state. And, I mean, what are the hazards at this point? Well, the hazards are what we've been currently getting. You know, it's rain is not great for quality. It also, you know, the grain sprouts and then all those sorts of things. Then you, the base of the plants rot and then they fall over, they lodge. And once they're lodged, they're hard to pick up. So you're getting that. There's also, you know, the hail, of course, is, is, a, is a net loss. There is quite badly waterlogged areas in the southern regions where the crop's actually sitting in water. So the grain that's taken off that will be less. There is also the mice have come back in vengeance, you know, in the in the in swaths, particularly in barley swaths, where it's been sitting there for a while. Um, I think those losses won't be huge, but they're all again, they're all all those little things add up. So the wind will be a problem if it if it really once you have the you know the base of the plant start to deteriorate, the crown of the plant, they the wind can push them over, and then again that that can be difficult to pick up. So there's still a few hazards out there. I mean, the, the prognosis for the for the weather is to actually improve over the next month or month and a half. So hopefully that will occur and, um, you know, growers can get really stuck into it. Where are the outstanding areas at this point? Well, it's pretty well everywhere. That's the – I think we said this last month. You know, that's, that's the good the problem. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem we've got, you know, is that it, it's all good. And as I said in the report, this slow finish to the season is, of course, frustrating for everyone although it's fueled this extra tonnage that we, we're going to have. The slow, uh, mild finish has just been incredible and it's, it's allowed crops to really fill um, slowly. Grain size is good. You know, fill those late tillers, fill the potential that's there. The lack of heat shock has been really... It's, it's unusual to get a year like this where there's just no heat shock to burn things off. So it just shows, I suppose, what can happen when you do get a nice finish and extending that length of the grain season. So really, as far as regions go, it's it's good everywhere. I suppose what is quite noted, you know, what's notable is that the, the low rainfall areas are really having a cracker of a year and they haven't had one like this for quite a while. So that's, you know, that's really exciting for them, particularly some of those growers in that central region that where it didn't go too well last year. And those areas, those, yeah, those areas around Meriden, the Geraldton, East Geraldton Port Zone areas, all through there, the East Quinana, are really having a great year and, and it's there's huge, huge areas out there. So they're going to be contributing significantly to the tonnes that, that WA produces this year. Did you ever imagine at the start of the season that we'd end up at this point right now? 
No, I don't think anyone could have, you know, really, Belinda. I mean, it was it was a good start and the amount of area that went in was, was much higher than than we thought it would be because just the combination of an early start, subsoil moisture and prices. So, you know, it always had the makings of a, a good year and then, but it, it just didn't go that well in the back, you know, in that back end of, of winter, things started to dry out and particularly in that northern grain growing region, it was just, they were really a day or two away from a disaster. And the that picked up, you know, Gerald and Port Zone is going to have a, you know, tonnage levels up near a record again. Whereas, you know, a few months ago, it was looking like, you know, very poor year. So the season has turned around. It's it's incredible how it has. So no, I, I don't think anyone could have foreseen what we're going to be faced with, you know, over the next month or two. Yeah, it really is incredible. Thank you for going through the, the latest report here on the Country Hour today, Michael. Okay. Good day, Belinda. Michael Lamond, he is the author of Giwa's Crop Report and on track at this point for a 24 million tonne harvest and possibly more than that may even reach, say, 26 million mark. It is 14 past 12. In other grains news today, Reese Turton, a farmer from York, so about 100 kilometres east of Perth, has been elected chair of lobby group Grain Growers. The first time a WA grower has been in the top job. Rhys Turton has served on the board since 2017. Outgoing chair Brett Hosking has submitted his resignation from the board and Nigel Corrish, a grower from Queensland, has been elected as deputy chair. Quarter past 12, heading north to Western Australia's northern cotton industry now which has just reached a major milestone. This morning, the Kimberley Cotton Company announced it's raised the required funding for a $50 million Kununurra gin. The venture is backed by the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility and several shareholders. And the company's deputy chairman, Jim Engelke, says the gin will be a major boost for the Ords agricultural sector. To get to where we've got to, very exciting for the region. And I think everyone's very much looking forward to having a cotton gin built and operational and having a, a good solid industry uh, in the ore back again. For the industry to get to scale, we need to have local processing. For the last several years, we've been freighting cotton modules, 3,500 k's and more in some cases, uh, east to be processed in uh, gins on the eastern seaboard. Clearly, that doesn't have a long-term future. You are limited by the amount of trucks uh, and you simply cannot freight that much uh, cotton out of here. And so it puts a cap on the area that we can grow. Having a cotton gin in the region uh, allows us to develop scale and the cotton gin has been built with scalability as a key part of it. So allowing us to grow the capacity of the cotton gin and grow the capacity of the production base feeding that cotton gin. Kimberley Cotton Company Deputy Chairman Jim Engelke speaking with Steph Sinclair. He says the company will order equipment for the facility in the coming weeks and he hopes construction will start next year. 16 past 12. The Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. As always, an update from the newsroom for you at half past 12, then checking weather conditions around the state with the Bureau of Meteorology. First, the competition for some of the country's top clean skin rams has remained strong all year, with a Sheepmaster ram selling for a record $110,000 at a recent ram sale at Alica in the state's Great Southern. Clean skin or shedding sheep aren't 
wool-producing sheep. They've been bred for meat and genetic use, cutting out the need for shearing. This particular ram is from the parent stud Garnet Sheepmaster and was sold to John Della from Orakawi, a sheep and wool operation near Waruka, 240 kilometres south of Port Pirie in South Australia. John Della says this is the first time he's purchased a shedding breed. We're looking to diversify the business into, you know, into a shedding breed. And we decided on the Sheepmaster and found the ram that we like. And so we decided we'd purchase him. But it uh, turns out there was a fair bit of competition as well. What sort of factors led to your decision to diversify? A few market trends. You know, there has been a big shift into sort of shedding type sheep throughout Australia for various reasons. One being shearers availability, just a bit of a shortage and also the amount of wet weather, people aren't able to get their sheep shorn, plus also a bit of labour to get people to do work with stock, you know, like landmarking and various other things as well. And you know, just workload at home, we find similar issues as far as labour-wise. So we're you know, hoping to be able to run similar numbers of sheep, if not more, with less labour units. So are you looking to move more into the meat space now? Yeah, so we've gone ahead and registered a Sheepmaster stud in South Australia. You know, we purchased a big number of ewes and we, we actually purchased six rams out of the sale the other day and going to do an embryo transfer program and some AI as well. So we, we currently run White Suffolk and Pole Dorset studs um, with the intention uh, if we can you know, get the Sheepmasters to work well, we'll move out of the White Suffolk and Dorsets. Um, we just feel that if we're going to have a sheep producing meat, uh, they might as well not have any wool on them to make them easier to run and, and manage. Will you continue with your wool operation? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So we have no intention of moving out of, out of the merino operation. We're going to continue running the stud and commercial side of things, but it sort of works in well having multiple blocks that we can, we can sort of run things fairly fairly separately and um, I think they'll sort of complement each other and to the point I think my merinos will benefit from me running a percentage of the flock of shedders because I'll have more time to spend with them and continue to run them properly because we'll be sort of about a third of our, our use will be fairly low maintenance within about two years. It is a big investment. Were you expecting to pay that much for the ram? It's no surprise he made that much and we're fully expectant to pay that much. Yeah, it is a big amount of money, but um, we went into the sale fully expecting to pay at least that much, if not more. So it was um, yeah, quite a good day, really. And what are you hoping to get out of your recent purchase? We purchased him as a semen sire as well. So there's semen available for sale, um, both domestically and internationally. And yeah, we've already had quite a lot of interest in that. But we also thought we needed to purchase the best ram we could find if we were going to start it successfully we we like doing things well we've had a lot of success for a long time with our merinos and and always believe in quality so you know when we we saw this ram it was just a matter of we had to have him because he was probably the best shedding ram i think i've ever seen john della from orakawi based at waruka south australia who's just bought his first ever load of shedding sheep from the sheep master auction 20 past 12. Well, in the last 12 months, there's been more than a 20% increase in the number of clean skin breeding ewes right across the country. Stephen Bignall is a market information manager with Meat and Livestock Australia. Stephen, what do the numbers show about the move into shedding sheep across Australia? So we have seen an increase across 
all states uh, except Queensland in the last 12 months into shedding breed or clean skin breeding ewes. They were over 20% at a national level. We had an increase of, um, of breeding ewes that were classified as shedding or clean skins. Can you break it down state by state? Do you have those figures in terms of which states are really embracing these sort of breeds? Yeah, I do. So from growth year on year, the, the growth really did come out of WA and South Australia and New South Wales, which saw double digit growth in, in terms of increase of breeding ewes that are identified or classified as shedding shedding sheep or, or clean skins. When we look at the breakdown, though, what we're looking at is the percentage of total clean skin and Dorper breeding ewes by state. We can see that WA actually has the second most just behind New South Wales. So 22% of all clean skin or uh, shedding breeding ewes in Australia were in WA. So actually, interestingly, well above Victoria, which is sort of considered the meat sheep breed. And Queensland, since they've put a lot of fences in and are restocking areas that sort of went out of merinos in the 90s and early 2000s, they have rebuilt their flocks significantly with, with, with sort of shedding breeds. Now, there are a number of different breeds of these sort of shedding sheep. Which ones are proving most popular? From the information that we get, we just get shedding clean skin use as one category. When we do look uh, at the sale yards, there is a sale prefix that is DORPA, but that does include sort of all shedding uh, sheep. Now that 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 sort of what did start out as DORPAs has grown to other other breeds, you know, to include the uh, Aussie whites and the likes. But would DORPA be the majority of of those sheep? Yes, yes. Uh, what's driving that, do you think? I mean, John Deller, we just heard some of the reasons why he's moving in this direction. What do you what think, th- Stephen? One of the things is, so in WA, if we look across the country of all breeding ewes, around 4% are shedding and clean skin. But if we look on a state-by-state basis, so of WA's uh, 7.3 million breeding ewes, 4.59% or close to, to sort of uh, 350,000 are, are shedding breeds. That's above the uh, national average of 3.5%, but somewhere like South Australia, only 1.8% of their breeding ewes are shedding types. So that's why we would see some interest from, from South Australia to come in line with, with sort of where the national average is in terms of numbers of um, breeding ewes that are shedding breeds. Why do you think Western Australia's kind of going down this line more so than other states? I think what we're seeing, Queensland, WA, Central West and Far West of of New South Wales, in New South Wales and WA, it comes from a perspective where the the farms aren't necessarily sheep farms, they're they're mixed farms. And and with that, uh, the farmers in those sort of cropping sheep areas are, are maybe looking for sort of ease of management over traditional merino farms. What do you make of that? $110,000 $110,000 price tag that was paid for the Sheepmaster Ram here in Western Australia? We definitely have seen strong stud sales for sheep. What we're seeing there is he's taking that ram and putting it into a stud environment where he will get semen sales. So there has been a lot of strong demand for stud rams this year by commercial producers and studs. So we've seen 
stud shedding breeds go for uh, elevated levels this year. And I think it underpins the sort of demand for that type of animal at the moment. Well, in July, the other one that comes to mind, the white Dorper ram, and as you said, the Dorper is really the main breed when we're talking about these sort of shedding sheep. This white Dorper ram from the Burrowung stud in New South Wales named Trump sold for a record $62,000. It is some big money, isn't it, going around for these rams? It's a significant investment, but it shows that the demand and, and, and is is there. But it also shows that the people buying the these animals do see that there must be a return on investment to be made on on these high prices. Hmm. What's the difference? The main difference between the breeds? I mean, they're all kind of meat sheep, basically. Is there a, a big difference between the breeds? We at the moment uh, classify them just as shedding and clean skin using the data that we collect. The sort of categories that we differentiate on are merino, first cross, second cross, pure meat, shedding, dual purpose. So, so the data we get isn't down to a, in, in the market information team, it is not broken down on an individual breed basis. Yeah, so they're all lumped in together. But I mean, what about in terms of taste? If they're all breeding for meat sheep, uh, for meat purposes... I mean, has there been much of a look into the difference in the taste between these different shedding breeds? We definitely know we're getting heavier carcass weights from the meat breed. So, so that definitely is something we've seen. And we've seen that uh, ABS data will be released next week. And, and we're seeing the average lamb carcass weights increase. And we definitely know that is being increased by the uh, being pushed up by the sort of swing towards meat breeds. And, and also, though, some of the British breeds as well that aren't shedders but are meat breeds, we do know that they're helping push up those carcass weights. Right. And what are the markets for these we know that the specifications for carcass weights uh, for a trade lamb at the moment are 18 to 22, and that's generally considered what would end up in a supermarket shelf. So these uh, heavier lambs would, would be going generally, I speak in general terms, uh, heavy export into sort of the US. And then as far as the future goes for the wool industry, what, what are the signs here? for that industry, that side of the business? We've seen recently uh, in this survey and, and our next wave of results will be coming out uh, later in November. So that, that'll make an interesting read. But uh, it's not all doom and gloom for merino industry. It is still over 70% of all breeding use are merinos. They may be being, uh, you know, um, bred to produce first cross or full merino lambs, but we do know that there is still 70%, that's well over um, two-thirds of, of breeding ewes are still merino, so there is still strength in that merino game. Right. Good to talk to you, Stephen. Appreciate it. Thanks, Belinda. Stephen Bignall here is from Meat and Livestock Australia. Just looking at that increase in the number of clean skin breeding ewes across the country in the last 12 months, I think that's till June, some new figures coming out shortly, but up until June, more than a 20% increase in the number of those shedding sheep breeding ewes across the country. Uh, Speaking of sheep and wool, shortly, well, before the news at one o'clock anyway, Danny Burkett along and he'll be going through the wool market details for you and the wool market down again this week. Uh, Danny will give you his insights into what's going on there just before the news at one. It is 28 past 12 here on the Country Hour and with an update from the newsroom, here's Rebecca Carmody. 
The WA government says the state is likely entering another wave of COVID-19. A rise in coronavirus cases across the country has prompted fresh warnings from experts who say Australia is now in the midst of a fourth wave. WA recorded just over 8,000 new COVID cases over the past week. A former WA police officer has been sentenced to three years and six months jail for accessing, possessing and exchanging child abuse material. 39-year-old Michael Richard Tyler was a senior constable in Geraldton last year when thousands of images, videos and messages were found on his electronic devices. Tyler pleaded guilty to 14 charges. Overseas, the Ukrainian army says it's made significant advances towards Kherson in the south of the country a day after Russia said it was abandoning the city and retreating. Video footage and photos show locals cheering Ukrainian troops as they took back key towns. And in sport, Pakistan cricket coach Matthew Hayden says he's confident Melbourne will be dry enough to allow at least 10 overs aside for Sunday's T20 World Cup final. Thanks, Belinda. More news at one. Rebecca, thank you for that update. It is 29 past 12 here on the Country Hour. Rebecca, just updating the situation in Ukraine and uh, the war situation with Russia invading Ukraine. What is it, eight months or so ago now? Uh, Just on that, Jason Craig, the Chief Marketing and Trading Officer with the CBH Group, the state's main grain handler, is going to be here on the Country Hour on Monday. And just looking at the grain deal between Ukraine and Russia, which is allowing that uh, flow of grain from that Black Sea region to the rest of the world. And that grain deal comes to an end on the 19th. So that is next Saturday, so Saturday week. And we'll just be talking to Jason about the implications of that, whether it does come to an end, whether it's extended and the flow and effect of that. We'll also be talking about grain prices, taking a look at the domestic market here in Australia, and also putting CBH's so-called dynamic pricing strategy that's been introduced for this season under the microscope. So I'm sure you'll be interested in that conversation with Jason Craig, Chief Marketing and Trading Officer with the CBH Group here on the Country Hour on Monday. Just speaking of that, Matthew from uh, Nudicate has just texted through saying it was great to hear that you've put a request into the ACCC in regards to the price difference between CBH and other grain merchants. The shipping slots were opened up to encourage competition. The opposite has happened. To all that want to sell off CBH still, please explain to the rest of us if they'll be happy to take $100 discount each season without CBH in place. Thank you for that, Matthew. The text is 0448 922 to 1. And shortly you'll find out why some people in Australia's cattle industry have decided to pipe up about the government's plan to phase out live sheep exports. Well, I think cattle producers, you know, are quite rightly worried that uh, if the sheep industry has reformed itself so well, why would the government wish to uh, continue with this phase-out policy? It was one of the hot topics discussed at this week's live exchange conference in Darwin and you'll be off there very shortly here on the Country Hour. 28 to 1 now to the Bureau of Meteorology. Catherine Shelfout is there today. And Catherine, let's take a look around at the situation in the Southwest Land Division. What can you see? 
Good afternoon, Belinda. Yeah, it's a really um, quite cold and cloudy day for the southwest today. So we had a cold front that moved through um, yesterday afternoon over the southwest corner, and the remains of that are now um, sort of linked to a low that's just south of Esperance. So uh, we also have a trough that's sitting through the southeast of the state or the east of the state, really through the interior. So very cloudy and cool over southwest WA today. Temperatures, um, maximum temperatures, only around 15 degrees for many places uh, in the great southern and southwest. And and, uh, quite fresh southerly winds as well. So showers um, all the way along the south coast and extending inland a little bit. And uh, through the Esperance and Goldfields re region, we've got uh, thunderstorms as well. So we're monitoring those just in case they uh, develop a bit. There is a chance we might get some gusty winds and heavier sort of falls. And uh, I see we've already had around uh, 10 millimetres at a couple of places close to Esperance today. Um, so we're expecting the low south of the state will deepen tonight. So it'll get um, quite windy uh, along the Esperance coast there uh, overnight tonight. Uh, moving into tomorrow, we'll see the ridge, uh, a new ridge moving over southern WA. Uh, and as I mentioned, that low uh, near the Esperance coast will develop a bit and then start to move off to the east. Uh, so winds will still be fairly moderate to fresh south-southwesterly, but they will ease during the evening. Um, so a cold start to the morning. Um, temperatures, minimum temperatures through western parts of the wheat belt is probably where it will be colder. Some, some of those are dropping down to um, below three degrees, so um, a chance of frost there. Um, but still some showers along the south coast during Saturday and some thunderstorms as well for the southeastern goldfields and uh, the Esperance region. So 10 to 20 millimetres, um, the highest amounts, but that's really uh, coastal areas between around Albany and Esperance and uh, more possible if you're underneath a thunderstorm, but uh, falls then dropping off pretty rapidly once you get to inland parts of the Great Southern. So from Sunday, we see a ridge uh, cut. Uh, become established over southern WA so um, conditions will start to clear. We'll have a weak trough that forms near the west coast as well so winds will ease and start to turn southeasterly and we'll see showers contracting mainly away uh, to the Esperance and Eucla coasts um, in the onshore flow. And then on Monday that ridge will persist and we'll start to see a west coast trough forming so we'll start to get the east-southeasterly winds, temperatures rising a little bit and uh, mainly fine conditions throughout the southern half and uh, fine and warmer again uh, on Tuesday. That looks like it'll be the warmest day for this uh, forecast cycle. Uh, so the trough will deepen down the west coast and we'll start to get east-northeasterly winds. So temperatures getting into the mid-30s for inland parts of the central west. Uh, a little bit cooler inland, so they'll get the warmer temperatures uh, the following day as the trough moves in. And Catherine, what's the story for northern and eastern parts of the state? It's reasonably quiet over the north, so um, that deep trough that's through eastern or inland parts of the state at the moment does have a branch that extends back to the Pilbara coast. So to the north of that they're getting a fairly fresh northwesterly flow through um, some parts of the Pilbara and the interior and uh, we'll see a return to that sort of southerly southeasterly surge um, through the Pilbara that we get uh, with the ridge developing uh, from Sunday. So showers and thunderstorms expected uh, through northern and eastern parts of the Kimberley pretty much every day uh, for the next four days. They're starting to develop uh, this afternoon already and they'll um, continue and intensify a little bit this afternoon. So um, pretty much the same pattern uh, for the next four days for them. And the warnings this afternoon? 
So at the moment, strong wind warning pretty much all the way from the Pilbara coast east right down south and around to the South Australian border. Um, so uh, that area will uh, reduce a little bit tomorrow, but we will see a gale warning um, for the Esperance coast. And we also have a fire weather warning that's for the South Interior. Thank you very much, Catherine. 24 to 1, Richard Hudson is here now with the rainfall figures. Yeah, and in the northern and eastern forecast districts, again, it's only the Kimberley that's had significant rain. Gibb River, 24, Kununurra, 7, Mount Amherst, 11, Mount Barnett, 6, Siddons Creek, 24, Theta topped it with 52, and Yulumbu, 5. And then in the southwest land division forecast districts, in the central west, Lanceland Defence with 8, that's the only one with 5 mils or more. And then in the lower West, Mundaring 6, Perth 5, and then in the southwest, Bailing up 8, Beadle up 24, Bridgetown 21, Carlotta 17, Dinan up 10, Four Acres 17, Carrydale 10, Manjum up 10 to 13, Margaret River 12, Mayan up south 14, Millian up 13, Mount William 6, Nan up 10, Newbick up 13, Newlands 12, Northcliffe 22, Pemberton 18, Quinnan up 19, Ravenscliff Alert Station 9, Rosabrook 11, Scott River 8, Shannon 15, Tonebridge 21, Walpole Forestry 23, Warner Glen 12, Will Garrup 6, Yanmar 13. And then in the southern coastal region, Albany had between 12 and 16 across a couple of locations. Um, Amalup, Beaumont West and Bremer Bay all recorded 10. Shane Beach, 16. Chillin' Up, 20. Denmarker, 20, uh, Denbarker, uh, 25. Uh, Denmark, 11. Gardner, 18 to 35. Noangarup had 7. Hopeton, 7 to 8 mils. Inglebourne, 8. Jacob, 10. Jeremungup, 8. Many Peaks, 18. Mount Barker, 23. Mount Howick, 8. Nalulup, 18. Ongarup had 8 to 10 mils, Stirlings North 15 and Stirlings South got beaten by Stirlings North, only 14. The Duke 11, Warrajarra 20, Wellstead 37 and then in the Great Southern a little bit around, Badgerbup 7, Chaming Up 6 and the same for Cranham. Quartering 5, Franklin 13, Cogen up 15 and Nyabing 5, Quail up had 10 and Tunney 13. Bell, yesterday um, ABC News reader Ali Colvin was just saying how she found some old drums full of sheep fat on her folks' farm in Victoria. And she mentioned that the fat was used for making candles and greasing machines and things. And then Flora rang in from Esperance just to say she remembers making soap from fat with her grandmother and her mum. She couldn't quite remember the exact ingredients for the soap, but luckily Marie has got in touch with us via Twitter and she's found a CWA cookbook recipe with the instructions, not just with one recipe either. CWA is very thorough. There's three household soap recipes. Now, I know you've got some hand washing to do of your husband's overalls over the weekend, so if you, got a, you better get a pen ready. What you've got to add is three kilograms of clarified fat, eight litres of cold water, 500 grams of caustic soda, caustic being the operative word, when it's you, 250 grams of resin. Now, here's, here's the instructions. Put the fat and the water into a kerosene tin, put over the fire until it's dissolved, then add the soda, a teaspoonful at a time, stirring the mixture all the while, add the resin, which has been ground or powder, make note of that, and then let it all boil very slowly for about an hour and 20 minutes, not too fast, because if it boils over, you're going to end up with a very fatty mess. 
Mm, I'll slip that in with the uh, rest of my jobs. Crack open that 44-gallon drum of fat I've got just sitting out in the back veranda. Thanks, Richard. We've all got them. This is the Country Hour, 20 to 1. And Danny Burkett along just before the news at 1, going through the wool market details. Now, the president of the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association says the federal government's policy to phase out the live sheep trade is wrong and will do more harm than good. In his speech at the Live Exchange Conference in Darwin, David Connolly challenged the government to provide evidence as to why the trade should be shut down. But he was asked why the Cattlemen's Association is bothering joining the discussion about sheep. The Federal Labor Government under Anthony Albanese said prior to their election that they would uh, phase out the live sheep trade, which is mostly out of Western Australia. And uh, we've got involved in that fight, to answer your question, because live export is live export, in our opinion. We think that the federal labour policy of closing down that trade is just wrong. Uh, We think it'll do more harm than good. I would ask federal labour, I would say why, uh, based on what evidence? Why why do you want to shut this trade down? You shut the cattle trade down once and made a billion dollar and rising mistake. Why do it again? I've seen the stats out of WA. If you look at the graphs, it appears like it's a trade that's on the decline and maybe on the out anyway. It's on the decline because government for years now has been pushing it that way. Um, If government came out and announced that in the future we're going to shut down the live cattle trade, all of us as pastoralists would have to find some other thing to do. So we would start to move out of that trade at great hardship to not only ourselves but all the people that depend on us for their trade. Live export, Matt, what governments don't seem to understand is that live export is like a great big octopus. It has its tentacles uh, wrapped through and entwined in all these businesses in the NT. So transport, four-wheel drive repair, fuel, tyres, you name it. You name a business in the Northern Territory and most of them, I'll be able to tell you how they're linked to live export. And that's what will happen in the in uh, in WA. So yeah, it's on decline, and people say to me, "Well, they're only exporting five hundred thousand head of sheep." Mm. Well, put it back on the market, put it back on the agenda, and let those growers have a crack at it again and build that trade. So I just say, why do you want to crack it off? The the whole sheep which, which is a good question, I guess, for Murray Watt and his counterparts. Yeah. But it, is it clear in your mind why that trade in particular? Like, what's the no? Why crack it off? I'm just asking a question. Why do you want to crack off that trade? It's not clear. Murray Watt, uh, Minister Watt, is a fellow who I have a lot of time for. He's a a collaborative type of fellow. He's communicative. Uh, You know, I think if we ask these questions of him and his government, um, he'll, he'll ask those questions of his own government. What what I don't want to see, though, is that Murray Watt gets blindsided either by his own party. But I think, Matt, that the government will see a bit of reason for this. This sheep business has reformed, as the cattle live export business did. The sheep business has really reformed. And I think if people like us, uh, even the cattle sector, start asking the question, government might just say, all right, well, let's let's find out why we're closing this. Oh, this business has reformed a lot and it can, it can get back uh, because of these reforms and, and under the auspices of, of a watchdog, allow that business to continue. Uh, just finally, I'm going to share with our audience the, the last part of your speech yesterday. And you said, here's some advice that only a friend can provide. Never get so used to being beaten up that you start believing that it's okay to let people hit you. What did you mean by that? 
And what I mean by that, Matt, is that the live export trade has taken some big hits in the close presence, you know, back even a little bit before 2011. But since 2011, the live export trade continuously keeps getting beaten up, media, social media, uh, wherever you like to look at it. And if you allow yourself to keep getting beaten up, it becomes it becomes easy. You just start, you get used to it. And I'm trying to say that um, cattle businesses like the NTCA, the producer groups, um, are there to help these live export associations and that together we can do a, a lot better and that really cattle producers are part of this industry. We're not just producing an article and then stepping aside. We follow this article right through. We're closer to our customer than ever before and that uh, together we can do a lot better in providing this food source for, the, for these customers. David Connolly, he's president of the NT Cattlemen's Association, speaking to Matt Brand. Quarter to one. Well, Matt also spoke to David Gelvin, who is chair of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council, to find out his thoughts on NT cattle producers getting vocal about the looming phase-out of live sheep exports. Well, I think cattle producers, you know, are quite rightly worried that uh, why, if the sheep industry has reformed itself so well, why would the government wish to uh, continue with this phase-out policy? So from our perspective, it's one sense, it's, you, you can't just have the sins of the fathers put on to, to the sins of their sons, right? And that reforming part of the journey has you know, been shown to be uh, correct. The minister himself, uh, Murray Watts, says he can see the reform in it, he can see the good practices that are in there, but the policy of the Labor Party is still to phase out. Does he want to do it? Do you get a sense on if he truly wants to do it? I, I can't really uh, comment on that because I'd be putting words uh, you know, in his mouth, Matt. But for him to recognise the dramatic uh, you know, changes and improvements over those, that period gives me uh, uh, hope and it gives exporters hope that you know, he, as the agricultural minister... Uh, knows what's happening. Mm. He's, he hasn't got his head in the sand and uh, and saying, oh, the policy is uh, to uh, phase uh, sheep trade out because nothing has changed. He has, he, he has admitted that things have changed and changed for the positive. Yep. One cattle producer put it to me, uh, they felt that ALEC's not been vocal enough, not been public enough in its fight to save that trade. What would you say to that? Well, well, I would say jumping up and down and screaming about it uh, doesn't necessarily get you, uh, you know, uh, instantaneous uh, success and uh, the policy will just change tomorrow. What we see is that we uh, are providing the evidence that things have changed. And I think I mentioned today that 60,000 head of sheep going to the Gulf 26 mortalities. So it's un- unheard of in the mortalities. See. So what we're doing is, is right. And I just want to let listeners know, Premier McGowan in WA has said, we have reformed. And he said he wants the sheep trade to continue. Two weeks ago he was asked in Parliament the same question. Do you support a sheep trade? He said yes. So... You know, if the Premier of uh, Western Australia is as confident, is confident that the industry has reformed, mm. I think uh, the knowledge that he has done that and said that will be uh, sent to the federal uh, government. 
David Gelvin, he's chair of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council, speaking to Matt Bran at the Live Exchange Conference in Darwin this week. And if you missed it on the Country Hour a few weeks ago, this is exactly what WA Premier Mark McGowan said in Parliament when he was quizzed about his current position on the live sheep trade. Uh, I did meet with uh, the Federal Agriculture Minister, uh, Senator Murray Watt. I also met with Senator Littleproud uh, in relation to these issues when I was in Canberra. And uh, I I put to them uh, that uh, there were many West Australians who are employed in this industry and that's one of those industries uh, that uh, has had considerable reform put in place uh, over the past uh, few years uh, and that that, uh, that reform should be allowed to continue. Um, express that to both, uh, both parties in those meetings. 12 minutes to one. This on the text from Philip and Fiona Taylor who just wanted to say uh, thank you to the Cattlemen's Association, David Connolly, for speaking out to support sheep producers of Western Australia. The text is 0448 922 one. Taking you back now to the live exchange conference in Darwin because one of the panel discussions was titled What's Been Learnt Since the Live Export Ban in 2011? The facilitator... Tracy Hayes is former CEO of the NT Cattlemen's Association and she raised the pending phase-out of the live sheep trade with Dr Peter Barnard, who is the former General Manager of Live Exports with Meat and Livestock Australia. Governments are working hard to convince the beef industry that their focus is not on cattle, it's only on sheep. Do we know the criteria and the evidentiary base for this decision? Is it based on ideology? Is it internal pressure coming from caucus and inner suburban seats? Is it political? And so is it only a matter of time before they come gunning for the beef trade? So we know this one's coming. Have we learnt from 2011? Um, Do we have a strategy as an industry and, and what is our long game? It's a bit of a curly one, but I'll start with you, Peter. I think the sheep industry has made major, major, major improvements. I believe that story hasn't been fully told, it hasn't been fully communicated, and it needs to be rapidly communicated over the next uh, 12 to 18 months while there's still time. Just hope that we've learnt the lessons uh, from the Indonesian 2011 episode and surely one of those lessons is that never again should Australia precipitously and arbitrarily shut down a food trade. I think it's hard to imagine from an Australian point of view what it is to be reliant on food imports, either food imports as a whole Uh, or food imports in important categories. You know, to be reliant on another nation supplying your food needs to keep your population sustained and alive. I mean, it's, it's just hard for us to imagine because we have food in abundance. And for us to act in a way that shuts down such a trade, set the standards for the trade by all means. I mean, that's fair, that's appropriate regulation to set the standards, but don't shut the trade down. 
As I said, Tracy, I mean, I, it's, I just find it remarkable that we are contemplating a shutdown of the trade again. It is bad, bad regulation and needs to be wiped off the Australian agenda. Dr Peter Barnard, a former General Manager of Live Exports with Meat and Livestock Australia, speaking at the Live Exchange Conference being held in Darwin this week. Eight to one. This is the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Going through the wool market details with Danny Burkett very shortly. And sometimes it's not a bad idea to share stuff-ups with others because when you do, you might find others who've done something very similar. And for some bizarre reason, that can be quite comforting. That's the thinking behind a competition the Patchawallop pub is running in Victoria, asking farmers to share their best stuff-up over harvest. And photographic evidence is required. Publican Belinda Notley says because of all the flooding this year, they just wanted to try to lift everyone's spirits. Yep, so we thought we'd start a competition and make it a bit of fun. So, you know, encourage everyone to take photos of their encounters and maybe make it a little bit light-hearted. If they take a photo and send it in, it might make them feel a little bit better that they've had a bit of an incident. Yeah, and then we've got a, um, well, we normally have a cutout party in December, so we're calling it the not-quite-finished cutout party because um, we don't think anyone will be finished, but we thought we'll draw it there where everyone there and we'll have a big vote and whoever's got the worst muck-up will um, win the prize, first, second and third. So it's been positive. I only started it yesterday and it's been positive so far. I've got lots of photos coming in, so it should be a lot of fun, I think. Uh, I noticed lots of comments, lots of pictures, uh, numerous pictures of machines bogged, another one where yeah. the... Um, the reel on the the front had fallen off. It reminded me of that Clark and Door skit. Uh, the the front fell off, but funny stuff. Belinda, someone as well, they'd commented and said they, they reckon they they'll be in the running for first prize, second prize, and third prize. So <laughs> lots young, of banter there. Young, yeah, he's a young local. He's a lovely, lovely boy. Yeah, he's a little bit accident prone. He's a funny character, and yeah, he probably will get first, second, and third. <laughs> And I suppose that's a that's an endearing human trait to be able to to make a bit of fun of yourself. Oh yeah, and he's so lighthearted about it. He just yeah, he's, he's he's a lovely character. He is very funny. He often comes in and tells you stories of things that he's done and just laughs, which is really nice. When things are going wrong and it feels like the world is against you, sometimes that can be a bit isolating. But I suppose having that that pub community and also this this competition to that they, they're reminders that, that if, if things are going wrong for you, they're probably going wrong for other people as well. Absolutely, and it's a good forum that they can talk about the things and give each other advice. Ed, Belinda, clearly uh, your patrons or the, the, the farmers of the community do display a lot of resilience. Is that is that an impressive trait, uh, to be able to be so resilient when in circumstances where the odds are against you? Oh, absolutely. They're all very resilient. It's amazing with what they face every day, you know, like we could have days and days of rain and you just look at them and you think, and they just, they're just they still smiling. And, you know, there's, and there's nothing you can do. And I guess that's their attitude. There's nothing you can do. We've just got to wait it out and make the best of the situation. But they all back each other up. And I think that's the, big, the most important part. They're all there for each other. You know, just the other night, they were out cutting hay and someone came in and said, look, I've just got bogged. The, the hay cutters across the highway, across the road. Within seconds, everyone had left the bar and had lights flashing and out there supporting each other, and that's all it takes. 
Belinda Notley from the Patchawalock Hotel speaking to Angus Verley. On the text, Tom Powell says, we don't have stuff-ups here, just senior moments. Four minutes to one. This week on Landline, as China turns away from Australian wine, India is shaping up. It definitely is a market that Australian producers are looking to invest in, um, particularly once the free trade agreement comes into force. And boot-scooting life back into WA's small halls. Those town halls, there's just so much heritage in them and so much feeling. That's Landline Sunday, 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on iview. Yes, if you're into your country music and line dancing, don't miss Sunday's episode. You'll get a taste of a boot-scooting night at Australind, which is about three hours' drive south of Perth. Uh, These events may not have the following they once did, but evidently, right here in WA, line dancing is giving some of our oldest halls a new lease of life. And those taking part have created a circuit so they can dance all over the place. Don't miss Landline this Sunday, half past 12. Three minutes to one to the wool market now, and it's down this week. The eastern market indicated down 20 cents to close at 1,241 cents a kilogram clean. And the Western market indicator is down 13 cents to close at 1,381 cents a kilo clean. Danny Burkett, how are you reading this week's results? Yeah, the bigger part of those falls happened on the first day across the three centres on the Tuesday. The second day, in particular in Western Australia, it did pick up a touch. But I will say that when the market did remain firm or did pick up slightly on some microns, we had a passed-in rate of 30% and a withdrawn rate of 30%. So 60% of the offering uh, didn't get cleared to the trade. We look at 17 micron, they were off 50 this week, closing at 2,000 cents clean on the dot. 18 microns off 20, closing at 17.10. 19s, 15.20 on the close, they were only off 5. 20 microns off 15, 13.65 clean on the close, 21s and 22s, 12.80 on the close, 12.30 for a 22, both of those were off 15 clean. Finer pieces and bellies also took a fairly large hit, they fell 45 cents clean across the board regardless of seed fault. The mediums ended up not too bad at minus 15, again on the second day they did hold their ground. Locks, stains and crutchings all off 20 cents for the week. Lambs for the first time in a long time, in particular those that have more than 0.2 or 0.3 of fault, are just starting to feel the effects of a softer market. But if you sit in what they term as the washer bracket, the 0.1, 0.2 still rock solid in the lamb market. And can you run through the list of buyers this week, Danny? Uh, Again, good to see the... um, Tech Wool Trading taking the top spot at 13%. Endeavour Wool Exports, 11.5%. TNU, 9%. PJ Morris, 8%. So it's the same buys we've seen week in, week out for the last three weeks. I will say, as I said last week, there was reasonably good competition across the board amongst those exporters, albeit at a lower level. Again, if you look at Tech Wool Trading, they're the largest in the crossbred market, third largest in the merino skirtings, and also did have a double in the oddments. So Tech Wool Trading, certainly a lot of capital out in the market again this week. And what about the bales on offer for next week, Danny? 
Well, again, as we have this week, is a limited offering, uh, Sydney, Melbourne and Fremantle, just shy of 37,000 bars for the week. If we look at this position versus last year, we are running at slightly higher clearances to the trade, but I would suggest in the last three weeks they have fallen away. But just shy of 37,000, if we can get an exchange rate falling, that will bode well for the wool market. All right. Thank you for going through those details, Danny. Appreciate that. Danny Burkett wrapping up this week's wool market results. Time for the news. One o'clock.